Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. There's a lot more balance in our lives now because we don't have to, we're not shackled by the refrigerator anymore, which is what it felt like a lot of times. I remember telling you a couple of times, like, I just don't know what to eat. Mm. And it wasn't so much, I don't know what to eat. I don't know what I want to eat. It was like, I don't know what I'm allowed to eat this week. Living a healthy, balanced life as a mom can sometimes feel impossible. With tiny mouths to feed, butts to wipe, and so many things vying for our attention, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe every mom is a super mom, and you deserve to feel like one too, and you don't have to go on another diet to do it. Join me, Kristen Dovniak, holistic nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor for conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life. I want to help you uncomplicate eating, improve your relationship with food, and live like the supermama I know you are. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. Today I have an extra special guest on with me today. This has been a requested episode and it's taken me a little while to wrangle this guest. The guest I have on today is my husband, Nick, and I'll let him introduce himself in just a minute. But today we are going to talk about kind of our journey when it comes to intuitive eating and food and how to support your partner when it comes to their intuitive eating journey, whether you are the partner who needs the supporting or you are the partner who is, or your partner is going to be supporting you in your intuitive eating journey. So we have a drink and we're just going to spend a little bit of time just sort of chatting about our journey over the years and hopefully you will find this helpful. All right, Nick, you want to start with an icebreaker? All right, go ahead. So you haven't introduced yourself yet, and I'll have you introduce yourself in just a minute, but you've traveled quite a bit. So where is your favorite place you've ever traveled? Favorite place I've ever traveled? I would have to say that the Canary Islands would be my favorite place that I've ever traveled. For those of you that don't know, these are volcanic islands um a couple hundred miles off the coast of africa and it's just rocky cliff faces in the middle of the ocean and it's just that tropical paradise 
I cannot say I've been there, but I would like to go there one day. So why don't you go ahead then and introduce yourself so they know why you've been to the Canary Islands and who you are, what you do, whatever you kind of want to share about yourself. So I'm Nick, uh, Nick Dovniak. Um, I'm a professional sailor and for the last 10 years I've been a sailmaker. So that means that I help build or process the sails that move the boats um, so I've been kind of head down a lot of technical work for, you know, most of my adult life. What do you do now? Now I am focusing more on just the professional sailing and, uh, yacht management, campaign management for some of my clients. Pretty cool job. Definitely, uh, not something I know a lot about, but I'm learning. Just like you're learning a little bit more about food as uh, we've been married for how long? Coming up on 10 years. 10 years. We've got two kiddos. Sage is six at the time of recording and Ren is about two and a half at the time of recording. And then we've got the cat that we locked in the other room because he's super noisy. (laughs) And we live off the coast of New England. So that's us. Um, So I want to ask you before we kind of dig into our story together and my story can you share your own food story so what was your experience with food growing up so my experience with food growing up um a little interesting um from a very young age i was diagnosed with what we believe to be a corn allergy mostly processed corn so for those of you that don't know corn is in almost everything in some form or another um so anytime you look on a label and you see glucose fructose dextrose maltodextrin those are all sweeteners that have been derived from corn and what was happening is i would have a really bad reaction to this not anaphylactic but where i would get today I would describe as really bad brain fog or almost ADD-like symptoms where I couldn't concentrate, couldn't sit still. Um, It was almost like my parents called like a Jekyll and Hyde type thing where suddenly, you know, a day after I would have a candy bar, I would be screaming, throwing fits and just a completely different kid. So most of my childhood as growing up just tried to avoid processed foods. Because corn was, and still is, used as a filler in a lot of those. Which means that growing up, on the one hand, you end up eating a lot of real foods, a lot of whole foods, a lot of what today you would consider really healthy. But when you're, you know, a 10-year-old kid and you're seeing all your friends eating McDonald's, you know, it's like that classic Eddie Murphy skin where... The kids are dancing around him singing, we got McDonald's that, you know, that I was that kid pretty much, Um, which I mean, has been amazing because I can eat most things now. I'm not afraid of any foods. You know, I ate a lot better nutritionally than almost anyone else I knew. But, um, you know, it's hard as a kid growing up and not being able to have something and not because it'll kill you, but because it'll just make you think a little funny. So do you think this affected your relationship with food? You, you said that you felt like you 
ate a lot of different foods. There was a lot of variety. But do you feel like you struggled with your relationship with food? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, when I first went out on my own to college, I didn't really know how to kind of handle some of the freedom. Um, And so my diet kind of went off the rails a little bit. I did start eating a lot more processed food and, you know, I noticed it. And so eventually it took me a few years, but I eventually kind of got back to avoiding a lot of those foods again and not so much in an unhealthy way, but just as a, you know, this doesn't make me feel good way. So you know, if I eat it, I eat it, but I try not to put any kind of weight on it. Kind of an intuitive way, huh? <laughs> you could say that. So funny. So I love telling the story about the first time Nick cooked for me. So for those of you who are new to the podcast, I'm a professional chef. Obviously, I wasn't um, when Nick and I first met, or maybe that's not obvious, but when we met, we met in college, we went to the same university and I was in school for nutrition. He was in school for kinesiology and I had just spent a summer studying abroad in Italy. So I was starting to get really into food and cooking. And I had also fairly recently recovered from an eating disorder. So I was really into food and actually enjoying food for the first time. But Nick didn't know much about me at the time, and he just knew that I was a nutrition student. And the first meal he made me was these like breaded chicken patties <laughs> on like a white bun with what was it like fries, waffle fries? Something like that, probably with like <laughs> and mayonnaise. Mayo, mayo and and I thought it was side. so weird that you put mayonnaise with your fries, but now I think it's delicious. But. Um, and then, so then he decided that that wasn't good enough. So he was going to make me dinner. So he made me like beer chicken. So chicken that was like marinated in beer, which was actually surprisingly delicious and pasta with jarred sauce, um, like a jarred Alfredo sauce, but he had to add frozen vegetables because he knew I was a nutrition student. So I would want some sort of vegetable. (laughs) So, um, you know, a little bit more processed, um, but I didn't really care because this cute guy was cooking me lunch and dinner. Um, but it was it was funny because I was I was super into food at the time and he was trying so hard. Little did I know he like did not cook at all. <laughs> and him and his roommate, who happens to be one of my best friends from high school, um, like had stacks and stacks and stacks of like soup and chili cans in their kitchen because that's basically what they subsided off of <laughs> soup and chili and frozen pizza. Uh, but I did. I've seen I've seen a huge change in the way you've learned how to treat your body, um, I think, over the years. But I also think that you are a really big part of me actually looking at what an intuitive approach to food looks like because you had to kind of learn what felt good in your body and what didn't from a really early age. So I think that was a really powerful skill that um, you were kind of blessed to learn without even really knowing it. So I kind of want to dig into the early stages of our relationship. And so back when we first started dating, so like I said, we were in college. So you were in your last year of college. Yeah, I was just starting my senior year. And so I was in my second plus year. Um, Not like I took my second year over, but because I was a little bit ahead. Um, so did you, do you remember feeling as though I had problems with food when we first started dating? A little bit. I mean, there were certainly foods you would avoid and you had the, 
I want to say clean food, dirty food kind of mindset. Like, oh, I can't eat that because it's dirty. It's processed. I can't eat Doritos because not for any kind of reason other than I just can't do it. Like there was no nutritional reason to do it. It was just, or it was very much nutritional reason. Like, oh, those are unhealthy. I can't eat them. Like, or you could have three Doritos and it's not going to kill you. I think you kind of opened my eyes a little bit to um, having a little bit more freedom with food at that point. So it was a really long time before I shared with you that I had had an eating disorder. I think we were early on in our relationship, too. We didn't really know where it was going. We'd been dating for, you know, a few months. And I think it was it was over a year before I really shared with you that I had had an eating disorder. But I, I certainly had rules around food. But at this point, I was physically recovered. It had been about six months um, kind of in like post-recovery where, I mean, I had healed my body physically, but clearly I had not healed my body emotionally. If anyone's listened to my story, episode two has kind of the, the rundown of my story when it comes to food. When did you start to see my food issues come up? Or maybe was there anything that made you think, hey, maybe there's something kind of underlying going on or something that might have been there before? It's hard to pinpoint down. I didn't have like an aha, this is clearly what's going on moment. There's more of a lot of little things like, oh, that's kind of weird. Moving on. Um, and and it's hard to differentiate it because at the time you were going through school. So there was a lot of, oh, this is the new thing I learned at school about nutrition. So I'm going to do that. Or, oh, I learned this fun fact about it. So I'm going to follow that. So it was hard to discern what is kind of like this rule that you have in your head versus what is this new thing you're trying because your professor told you that that is what you needed to do or this was what's better or ideal. Um, I remember not being able to eat chips by themselves because you can't eat carbs without a protein. (laughs) (laughs) But that was probably a little bit later on, right? That might have been a little later on, but that's kind of... Around that time is when I started to figure out, okay, there's there's a lot of rules here. There's something going on. How did this affect you as my issues with food became a little bit deeper? So I was in this place where I had recovered from this eating disorder, at least physically. And then we're dating. We end up moving to Toronto. And I think it was around that point where it really sort of my kind of orthorexic orthorexic tendencies started to come to a head with some of the holistic nutrition training I was doing. Um, Where did you kind of see it amp up? And how did it affect you when it started to amp up? I think it started to amp up around my third juice cleanse. So me trying to be the supportive husband after we've established that, okay, something's wrong. At the time, you weren't feeling that great in your body. You were trying to figure out between gut health stuff and between some body image stuff, what 
the best way to eat was for you. So I was trying to be supportive and did whatever you were doing with you for the most part. So I have done almost every diet out there (laughs) along with Kristen. So I, I did a year as a pescatarian, probably six months as a full vegetarian. I don't think I ever went truly vegan. You tried. Um, tried for a little while. Good effort. I've done, what was it, a Whole30. I've done keto, paleo, everything, right? Like, um, and so I think it was, macrobiotic. yeah. Macrobiotic. I did, did I macrobiotic. macrobiotic for a little while. Um, <laughs> lots of juice cleanses. Lots of juice cleanses. So it was one of those, like, why am I doing a cleanse? I feel fine. This is all these cleanses do is make you feel really terrible. And if you don't finish the cleanse, it makes you even feel even worse because now you feel like a failure because you couldn't even finish a three day cleanse. So now you feel bad in your body because you have no energy and you feel body and bad in your mind because you can complete this thing. So, um, it was around that time where I started, like, what are we doing? Like, something has got to change here. So you were really supportive in all that. And I just want to premise this with my efforts to try all these different diets and these different plans. On some level, they were for health in terms of trying to figure out I had a lot of gut issues. I had a huge IBS flare up. And some of that was directed towards that. And some of it was just my body image issues and really wanting to try and shrink my body and using the guise of health in order to try and manipulate what I was eating. And I figured if I brought my husband along with me, well, then we're doing it for our health. We're getting healthier together. And I don't think anything really stuck. And how do you think this affected our relationship? I mean, it was hard. So suddenly date nights get harder when you're trying to structure your date night around what you can or can't eat. So, oh, our friend told us about this new restaurant. Can we go? Well, no. Or you go to the restaurant and there's only two options for you, which, I mean, that's not fun for anybody. Um, Or suddenly we're not going to our favorite little Middle Eastern place around the corner because they don't serve anything that we eat this week. Um, and I never really knew, you know, there's a lot of times where I didn't know what we were eating this week and I had to ask, okay, okay, what are we eating this week? Not from like a food planning thing, but from a, uh, just from a dietary standpoint. And, you know, part of it was trying to help her heal her gut, which was to me the most important thing because this was a health related thing. Um, but then a lot of the other ones, you know, you just... After a while, you start to get a little resentful when you're like, I I just want to eat how I want to eat without feeling judged for it. Because when you go into one of these diets, if you don't go all in, they're not very effective for whatever your goal is with them. Whether it's I'm trying to do a gut healing protocol or I'm trying to lose a bunch of weight really fast. Um, you know, as a former wrestler, I can drop a lot of weight really fast. But if you don't go all in, it doesn't work. So you're sitting across the table from somebody else and you see them eating a certain way and you're eating something very different. Suddenly you feel those judgy eyes on you for 
eating for how they perceive to not be for optimum health. And that gets old after a while or creates a lot of friction. It's interesting, too, that you brought up this idea of like what works and what doesn't work. Because I think the definition of if it worked or not is so skewed. Because for me, if it worked, it was because, you know, I didn't have digestive problems for the week or I dropped a few pounds. But then I'd go off of it and then we'd like go crazy. We'd go to the St. Lawrence Market and eat. Um, oh, gosh. What is it called? The pork sandwiches. Oh, the uh, bulgogi. No, not the bulgogi. Uh, the... Bulgogi is good, but. Green beef, what beef? Sandwich? No, peanut. Peanut bacon sandwiches. Oh, the peanut bacon yeah. sandwiches. Yeah, so I'd be yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like vegan one week and then the next week you'd be like screw it we're just gonna go and eat female bacon sandwiches and then finish it with a raw dessert because then we feel better about ourselves or okay i look at this i'm using this as like ourselves i put a lot of this on you i think um not i think i know now talking to you (laughs) and we've had conversations about this before but i put a lot of my own expectations on you. And I think part of it was, you know, out of love where I wanted you to be healthy as well because in my head, I thought that these things were were driving me to better health. But at the same time, I think it did create some of this kind of divide in our relationship where you were oftentimes resentful and you were trying to support me because we were I was trying to get healthier, especially when it was um when I was trying to heal my gut. But then of course, we get to this point where it's not about healing my gut. Like my gut's in a good place. Now I'm just trying to change my body and kind of bring you along with it. So what about after my gut was healed? For the most part, I learned the practices that I needed to make in order to have healthier digestion and feel better in general. And then I had sage and that was a really, we could probably do a whole podcast in and of itself on my whole pregnancy journey because that was a struggle. And it was really revealing that I wasn't as healthy as I thought I was. And then afterwards, I kind of jumped into the fitness world. And I really jumped into moving from this position where I really, really wanted to be the healthiest I could possibly be. And I would go through any, like for, I would go through any means in order to be the healthiest I could be to the space of trying to be the fittest I could be. How was that shift for you? And how did that affect you in our relationship? That one was interesting. So I come from a kinesiology background. So when you decide to jump into fitness a lot, it was like, okay, cool. This is kind of my, a little bit more my speed where, where I'm more comfortable dealing with it. But then it kind of spiraled like well beyond my, you know, my comfort level for what I do um, in that it became quite obsessive. And so it seems like for a long time, you're just jumping from one thing to one thing all at full speed which, you know, can be exhausting if, you know, sometimes I like to walk. I don't have to run (laughs) everywhere all the time, Um, you know, metaphorically speaking, and also literally sometimes, (laughs) depending on what we're doing. Um, But it kind of started to bring up the question in your head of health versus fitness. You know, just because you're fit doesn't mean you're healthy. 
and also what's the emotional strain behind this and what's you know what's the payout it's different if you're a pro athlete and you're getting paid millions of dollars or a million dollars depending on what league you're playing in or what your sport is to be at your peak physical fitness all the time and with the whole but the whole goal isn't to be as fit as possible the whole goal is to show up on game day to be the best you can be on you know when the gun goes off when the puck drops at kickoff whatever it is that's the goal behind the working out you're not working out for the sake of working out so when you were getting into the fitness world it started the lines started to get really blurred as to okay why are you doing this what is the what's the end game here because there is no you know okay so you work towards a fitness competition but then what you just stop after that like what was what happens after that so it it went well beyond just working out for the sake of working out and being healthy and moving and trying to promote better health through that to a you're working out like a pro athlete but without any kind of end game and pro athletes it's been well documented can't sustain that level of training which is why they do training cycles so you know what's going to happen here i think at the time i was terrified of the idea of like a training cycle because i was like well what if then my body changes and i remember going into like i was doing a lean or i was doing a bulk and like the bulk you were like good all right we can actually eat again (laughs) versus doing a lean where i was like restricting 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 so how do you feel then this affected our relationship during this time If you've never done a highly caloric restricted exercise with your spouse, I recommend you do it once just so you know what it's like, but only once. <laughs> not recommend that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> not. <laughs> if you, you know, we all kind of joke around about the term hangry. Like, hanger is a real thing. When you get angry, your blood sugar drops. And you get hungry. You get hungry, and then you feel emotional distress from that. Mm-hmm. You know, I personally get extremely angry when I am hungry. Mm-hmm. Maybe not angry, but very short-tempered, um, very agitated easily. So when you go through your every day like that, you wake up and you're hungry. What do you eat for breakfast? Well, about half of what would really fuel you. And then you push through to lunch and then you eat enough to be satisfied for maybe an hour or two. And then you're just hungry again until dinner. It puts a lot of strain when you're, there's just this sense of tension and anger around you all the time. And it doesn't help that you go on social media or YouTube and it's really easy to pop into these bubbles or spheres of, well, everybody's doing this, aren't they? Like, it's very easy to cater our social media intake, like our content intake to only the things that interest us. So if you're big into fitness and you're following 90% fitness competitors, coaches, brands, then all you see is all these people doing the same things that you're doing, getting these results and they're happy when they do it and there's no struggles ever. And it's great. And everybody's doing this thing except no, this, you know, 
half of a percentage of the U.S. population is doing this thing, right? Like there's a whole big world out there that's doing a very different thing and not feeling the way you're feeling. So it's kind of like the opposite of isolation where you feel like everybody's doing this thing. So I'm part of this and I'm doing everything, but it's you're actually a very small offshoot of what is normal. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, and I think the definition of normal is there is no real true definition of yeah. normal, but this is definitely you, you are not definitely the average. An it, yeah, you're definitely an outlier. It's definitely different than the average. Do you remember any pivotal moments or experiences or memories during that time where you knew something needed to change or it would have a really deep effect on a relationship or a family? think there were a couple times when something would happen like we'd run out of mustard or which to this day I still have a hard time with mustard because can you explain why mustard well I would eat mustard instead of like salad dressing or other condiments because it was low calorie and the whole goal when you're doing a fitness competition or something like that is to as little calories as possible so we ate a lot of mustard. Yeah. So it was like we were out of mustard or something like that. And I think you dropped like you'd prepped all your food for the week into these containers. And maybe Sage bumped you or something and it dropped and it fell on the floor. And it was like just waterworks. Because it was like this was your meal for the day was this seared chicken and broccoli <laughs> and it was now on the floor and ruined because our what was she would have been two or three she, or two, she was two bumped into you just trying to come and give you a hug and this was the end of the world like okay your toddler giving you a hug cannot be the end of the world mm-hmm. i think that was when it's like this, we need to change this isn't worth it right like we need to reevaluate here So how did you feel then? So I did this fitness competition and you were there and you were supporting me. It was you and my sister there because I didn't want anyone else there (laughs) because I knew, I knew that I wasn't healthy at this point. So I did this fitness competition and about a month later, I had this massive health crash where I could barely get out of bed. And when I did, I was falling asleep, sitting up. I could barely take care of my kiddo who was two at the time, like we said, I just had one at the time, Sage, and I couldn't lift weights anymore. I was frustrated, but I knew something was wrong. How did you feel during that time, after I kind of went through this shift? A little angry, almost. Because it was like, okay, we put from a very selfish... So there were two sides of it. One was from a very selfish standpoint. So from a very selfish standpoint, I was angry. Because, you know, I, me and this little child had basically walked on eggshells around you, tiptoed around you for the last, you know, what is it, six or eight weeks plus while you were in your training so that you could do this thing and we were hoping that at the end of this thing, we would get our mom, you know, my wife back and her mommy back. And it didn't happen. 
instead now she's crashed out and she's this shell basically um and then from the other standpoint I, you know i felt like i let you down like how come i couldn't help you with this how come you're suffering right now after you'd worked so hard you'd achieved your goal you know you did really well in your competition how come this was happening to you now how come i couldn't help this so there's yeah i was a little conflicted because there were the two things going on so what did you think of intuitive eating when i started talking to you about it It depends because at the time you were still in that fitness or following a lot of these fitness competitors at the time and kind of still in that fitness world where they would say that they intuitively eat kind of between preps, that they could intuitively eat whatever their macros were. Mm -hmm. So to me, it felt like, oh, so you kind of know what it feels like to eat a thousand calories a day. Like this doesn't make any sense. Um, so yeah, it just seemed like, okay, whatever. It's the next thing you're doing. You didn't really take it that seriously because you're coming from a world where if you haven't done one of these competitions, you're tracking everything. And I mean, everything down to when I track something and it's like, okay, do a food journal. I'm very vague with it. I'm like, yeah, sure. I had about a handful of blueberries. What's that? I, I don't know, whatever, quarter cup. And you're staring at me with your eyes about to bug out. Like, <laughs> that's not accurate enough. You won't know. Um, But so trying to transition from that to eat what you want as long as you think it fits into about this range. I'm like, there's no way you're going to be able to do that because you're coming from a world of very regimented, very have to stick to this. You'd be freaking out when you go over one gram of protein from what your macro plan was so didn't make a lot of sense but okay i'll be supportive and hopefully this helps you so when did you start to see a real shift around me really truly eating intuitively so getting rid of the macros deleting my fitness pal which by the way i deleted and re-uploaded like five times <laughs> so when did you start to see that real shift well, it's like trying to kick a habit right it's like trying to kick any habit it's not not an easy thing to do you can't just suddenly decide to go cold turkey and give up you know i think a lot of the i'm not a habit expert but it feels like a lot of the habits that we kind of fall into are but more about control than anything else i can control this thing i can have my glass of whiskey while I'm doing the podcast um, because I can control that. I can go out and I can have my cigarette at break time every day. You don't actually smoke. I don't this actually. I don't example. actually smoke. <laughs> that one is an example. But um, and so trying to kick that habit is hard. Like you said, I had to. You had to delete my fitness pal at least five times, and so it was. It didn't happen even till about probably three quarters of the way through your training that you did mm -hmm. that I really noticed a big shift when we could start going out to restaurants and you just ordering whatever you wanted or being able to share something with me or being able to take a bite of what I had 
and just enjoying it rather than trying to calculate in your head what that bite meant. I think that is kind of the biggest crossover point is when I could have a bite of your food and you not freak out because it messes up your in your head macro calculations. I let go of the macro calculations in the early stages of my intuitive eating journey when I was working with my intuitive eating counselor. But you're right that it took me a long time to get rid of the rules. The rules were the biggest for me. The rules and then trusting my body because it had been so many years of not trusting my body. It's interesting though that you saw that shift later than I thought I was an intuitive eater. And looking back now, so when you say training, you're talking about my intuitive eating counselor training. Yes. Yeah. Where I had been working with a coach the second time. The first time I went through it, uh, I, it took me almost a year. Really, I was pregnant, so I worked with an intuitive eating counselor. So I read the book. I was convinced that it was going to work, but there was a little part of me that was like, mm, maybe I should still track my macros while I do this. I worked with an intuitive eating counselor. I got pregnant, made my way through the pregnancy, and afterwards it took me probably a year before I started my intuitive eating counselor training to really start grasping the concept of letting go of counting and tracking and really truly embracing trusting my body and maybe letting you have a bite of food. (laughs) So how do you then feel like my shift towards intuitive eating has helped our relationship? I think it's been huge because you're able to spend. So my dad has a saying that you only have so much emotional energy that you can spend in a day and you get to choose what you spend your emotional energy on. And that's how happy you are, how sad you are, what you get upset about, what you stress out about. There's only so much that you can worry about during a day. So when you were really in the midst of any of the diets or the fitness or whatever, you were expending so much emotional energy on either controlling what was going on that when any little thing happened that wasn't to plan, because this kind of stemmed out into the other facets of your life, because now everything is planned about around each meal and what you're going to eat, that if any little thing went wrong, it was a full meltdown. So, so much emotional energy was just pouring in to just kind of surviving the day that there was no room for any kind of connection or joy. Um, And so I distanced myself, you know, I'm not completely off the hook here. Um, But once you start to find that better balance, now more energy can be spent on helping others. It can be spent on me. It can be spent on the kids. Like it just, it was this huge shift. How do you feel you supported me in the early days of my intuitive eating journey and in the later days of my intuitive eating journey? I don't know. I try to stay out of the way. <laughs> um, like, um, I just try not to be a burden and push my own thoughts on what you think you need for your body. Um, you know, I don't want you eating a specific way because that's how I think we should be eating 
for no reason. I have no scientific reason to back it up. Um, so I'm not trying to force my eating beliefs and my eating habits on you. So if you think that you're trying to be intuitive, I'm not going to try and subconsciously persuade you that this is what you intuitively want. Mm. If that makes sense. Like things like, are you sure you're still hungry? Are you sure that's what you want to eat? Like little mm. comments like that. Like, you sure you want a second piece of pie? It's like, well, if she wants a second piece of pie, who am I to stop her? Like, yeah, I think that was really huge too. Allowing me to make those choices for myself and to be on that journey and to really learn how to tune in and to trust my body without judgment. I think that was really big. I think that was really, really huge. I think you've, you've been a good example yourself of intuitive eating over our relationship. And so I think I looked to you a lot when I was making decisions around food, when I was really learning how to trust my body and to how to eat intuitively, because I'm like, well, he can do it. (laughs) I can do it too. But I think that, yeah, giving me that space was really huge. Do you remember us having any sort of like conversation about intuitive eating and, and ways that you could help support me? Not really. Nothing comes to mind immediately, specifically. It was just more of you kind of telling me about it, about the principles. And yeah, then I could kind of make my own judgment of how I can be best supportive. Again, I'm kind of experienced in supporting through the different eating strategies by this point. So um, this seemed to me like it's one of the things that you need to figure out on your own. So I need to kind of just get out of the way. This wasn't something where, you know, intuitive eating is not something where you need to be held accountable for it. Mm-hmm. Like it's the exact, it's the exact opposite of anything. So you don't need me double checking your macros. You don't need me reading food labels for you. You don't need me, um, you know, questioning if this is what you should be eating you know, or knocking the candy bar out of your hand or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just need to eat for the sake of enjoyment or eating or whatever it happens to be on your mind at that time. I think the best thing that you could have done for me in my intuitive eating journey was non judgmental presence. You were just there. You didn't judge me for eating the Oreos. You ate the Oreos with me and you stopped when you were full. And, you know, I remember saying things like, I'm, these are kind of a fear food for me. I'm going to try and eat these every day and see how I feel. And you're like, all right, I'll have some Oreos. And when I had like four or five Oreos and you only had three, I would say something like, oh, I had four or five Oreos. And you'd be like, yeah, so. Like the complete like non-judgment just letting me go through that process and I don't need four or five Oreos most of the time now when I have Oreos and it's rare because they don't feel good in my body and so we have them sometimes and you enjoy them and I enjoy them but it's not a thing anymore but it was a thing for a really long time so I was judging myself more than you were judging me and I think that was really really helpful and really important. So for the listener who's listening, who is going through their own intuitive eating journey, what advice do you have for their partner as they're going through their intuitive eating journey? 
it depends on where you're at yourself. So if you're trying to be the partner and you haven't figured out your own intuitive eating, I think that can be difficult. I mean, it's just like anything where you're watching your partner go through a big change. You need to kind of separate the change from your partner and decide if this is the person that you want to be. Right. So when you're going through your fitness competition change, I'm looking at, I'm like, nah, not, (laughs) not worth it. Right. Like, and I, I could use to exercise more for my own professional ambitions. And that is something that I need to wrestle with and I need to figure out, but I know that I'm not going to get back to being in the gym every single day for two hours a day because I don't enjoy that at all so if you're trying to figure out how you can be supportive it's it's hard because there's no intuitive eating is hard because there's no shiny ribbon at the end there's no goal that you're trying to it's a very intangible goal of not having a goal and just being so if you're not already there yet, it's very hard to be supportive because you're not like, yeah, you lost three pounds, just 10 more to go. You know, you, it's hard to be the cheerleader for an intuitive eater because all you do when you cheerlead is just get inside their head more. So you just, again, you just have to kind of be there and work on your own stuff alongside them. If they can see that you're working through your own stuff, I think that's probably the most helpful. So if the listener is listening and they're in the early stages of their intuitive eating journey and they feel like their partner isn't supportive, how can they go to their partner and ask them for their support? Do you have any advice? I think you almost need to ignore them. This is about you your body, what you're eating, how you feel. And you, again, you got to tell them to get out of the way. Like. In a kind way. (laughs) In a kind way. (laughs) But I mean, this is not a, the whole point is that you're giving up control. So you kind of need to shut out. You need to push away. You know, you're pushing away all your social media influences. You're pushing away all the, you know, entrenched media influences you're trying to do this for you if you're still reliant on the support of somebody else to do it it's going to be a long journey now they can help you with it but again if what we're saying is the most help you can get is just by being there it's you can't really your support net needs to be a little different than a traditional diet it's that presence it's that non-judgment it's just being there and recognizing that they're going through what they're going through and you just need to be there if it's hard for them if they have hard days if they feel like jumping back on that diet um it's not linear it never is you know I went back and forth you know once I, I I talked about this recently on social media where I had learned about intuitive eating and I was listening to the food psych podcast with Christy Harrison who's now the author of the book anti-diet And I was listening to it and this is like in the end stages of my fitness competition and kind of moving past that. 
but I really wasn't quite ready to hear that information. And I heard it, but I wasn't ready to really truly embody it and practice it. And then kind of our last ditch effort at a diet was the Whole30. <laughs> and it's not knocking the Whole30 if it works for you. I know it works for some people, but it really, truly, what matters is your mindset going into it. What are you doing this for? Can I just say that at no point on the Whole30 did I ever experience tiger blood? <laughs> <laughs> just want to throw that out there. For any of you who have, who have ever read the program, there's supposed to be a certain point. It's like day 13 or day 15 or something where you feel this like, like 19. It's like late. <laughs> you feel this tiger blood, this incredible like energy and superpower and whatever. And I felt the most restricted I had in my whole life. And that was sort of my catalyst for going, I can't live this way. This is not the way I want to show up for my family. This isn't the way, this isn't the mom I want to be. This isn't the wife I want to be. And we worked through that together, um, not without some serious hardship and some arguments over pickled onions, was it? <laughs> yeah, I ate pickled onions and suddenly I had to start over again. It might have, it might have been a thing. I think that, that might have been one of the tipping points. <laughs> that you were talking about what's the tipping point where this is like something needs to change i think that might have been another one maybe the pickled onions (laughs) (laughs) i had to do whole i did the whole 33 or something like that yeah but in all of it i needed that revelation i needed the this is not the way i want to live this isn't the way i want to show up and i'm really thankful that you supported me in that and that you were by my side through all of the diets and the fitness competition and the whole 30 and all of the things I needed to go through in order to make my way slowly but surely to this point of intuitive eating. So where do you see then our relationship now at this point versus where it was maybe at the start of our relationship where you had no idea I had an eating disorder six months prior or maybe at the end of this fitness phase where I went through this fitness competition and I thought I was the fittest I ever was and I was the fittest you know in terms of physique but I was the unhealthiest I'd ever been where do you see us now and how do you see intuitive eating has changed our relationship I think we're certainly a lot more balanced now um for those of you that don't know Kristen, Kristen tends to operate in a very binary manner. (laughs) Everything (laughs) everything is either on or off. Like it's full speed in whatever direction she's going at. And for the first time since I've known her, things have started to, there's more shades of gray. Everything's kind of filtering out more. She can do i can go at like a three in this direction and a three in this direction and a three in this direction without actually counting yeah without counting but like there's a lot more balance in our lives now because we don't have to we're not shackled by the refrigerator anymore which is what it felt like a lot of times i remember telling you a couple times like i just don't know what to eat And it wasn't so much, I don't know what to eat. I don't know what I want to eat. It was like, I don't know what I'm allowed to eat this week. I almost kept you from what you knew from your intuitive eating. Well, not almost. I definitely kept you from eating intuitively for a number of years. 
and you supported me through that, but it didn't help you necessarily. But what do you think kept you then in this space of being able to kind of come back to intuitive eating after all of these diets, after all of these, how has diet culture affected you and how could you come back to your place of intuitive eating after all of this? I guess I always viewed diets as a short-term thing, like not as a sustainable thing. So for me, I dieted when I needed to hit a certain goal. So I wrestled for nine years. So it was, okay, you've got to hit this weight on this day at this time. I only need to weigh this for about 15 seconds and then you can do whatever you want, you know, or for, you know, for sailing a lot, there's weight limits on what the total crew weight can be. So I always hit, I was one of the smallest guys. So I always had to hit the smallest weight. And so I've always had these kind of professional goals for what I needed to weigh. But I was able to separate that out completely as this is a short-term thing that I'm doing to hit this goal. And so anytime I did any of these other diets, it was kind of like, well, I'm not that it's not forever and that, well, we're always going to eat this way, but like it's, you know, I guess this is just how I eat now. And this is, I was able to adopt a different mindset around it, I guess. It wasn't an obsessive thing. I know like you used to get super frustrated with me when we were both tracking our macros and you look at mine like, you're like 20 grams short on your fat. I'm like, I, I guess, I don't know. Mm. What do you mean you don't know? You haven't planned this down? I'm like, no, I just kind of, I was like still eating intuitively while trying to track my macros, which to me was just write down what you ate for the day and see how that fits in your macros, mm. which for a lot of people, it's not like that, which I'm, I think I started to realize at the time that they don't do that the same way mm-hmm. that I was doing it. So diets for me have always been kind of goal oriented and short term goal. Like short-term goal or to try and create better overall habits, but not a fully sustainable thing. So like there are people that I've worked with when I was going through school, doing studies, doing internships where they needed to learn a lot of basic nutrition, a lot of, okay, you are overweight and it is affecting the way you live your life. And your doctors These were cardiac patients you were working with either cardiac patients or physical therapy patients or you know whatever right like your weight is now affecting your life mm-hmm. um you these so are you, extremes extreme cases yeah you need to make a change and so just simple things like well if i you know if i stop drinking sugary drinks like little things like that that you don't realize that if you go on one of these diets for a short term, you start to realize, you start to get that basic nutrition training to be a little more well-rounded when it comes to your eating. Like there are still people that I know that are my age that the number of vegetables that they enjoy, they can count on one hand. Mm. If that, if it's not chicken nuggets, I'm not eating it, right? Like there are people who have not, you know, matured beyond that. So sometimes these diets, and this is kind of how I used it, like especially when I went vegetarian, it allowed me to enjoy a much broader range of vegetables because I had to. So now I can eat beets, I can eat mushrooms, um, artichokes, 
asparagus, sweet they, potatoes, spinach, sweet potatoes, they, like avocados. Before I went vegetarian, I would never eat these things. Mm-hmm. And then it's like suddenly, well, this is your option of what you can eat. So you're like, well, I guess I'm gonna try it. So it kind of broadens you that way. So. But I think what you're getting at is that in all of this, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's the mindset behind it. Your mindset was like, well, this is a short-term thing I'm doing. I might as well learn something from it. And that's not condoning that like dieting is going to help you necessarily learn something. And we know through research that dieting doesn't create long-term habits. But sometimes, you know, you can take things away from any, from research, from experts. You can take those things away and try them and intuitively tune in to, okay, does it feel good to eat more vegetables? Does it feel good to cut out some sugary drinks? Does it feel good to make these shifts when your mindset is in the place of this isn't forever, this is just what I'm trying out. And if it feels good, then I'll keep it. And if it doesn't, well, then I let it go. And I think you've just kind of naturally done that over the years. But for a lot of people, that's really, it's really hard to get to that point. It's like that documentary we're watching the other day. Mm where the guy hosting it is a mixed martial arts fighter and his hero is Bruce Lee. And so he was quoting, for those of you that don't know, Bruce Lee didn't specialize in one specific discipline of martial arts. He went around and he studied intensively four or five different disciplines and cherry-picked the parts that fit best with what he thought. And this is kind of how mindset i've kind of taken to the way i eat it's okay you know i did vegetarian what are the things i liked about vegetarianism what are the things i liked about macrobiotics what are the things i liked about keto or paleo or anything like that and i can use those little bits of knowledge to kind of form my own intuitive way of eating Mm. And it's not to say that somebody who's listening has to go on these different plans in order to... You don't have to go through that journey, but that's the journey I did. Yeah, and so, but you took from it like little nuggets rather than, you know, just that all or nothing mindset that I had. So when it comes down to, and this is something I work with clients a lot on, is talking about, it's not about the food you eat. Because I think that there can be dogma in either way. There can be dogma in the intuitive eating world of like, well, now you're an intuitive eater, so you can just eat donuts and cookies all day. I mean, you can, but part of intuition is tuning into how that feels. And I know that for me, personally, that would not feel good if I ate donuts and cookies all day long. I mean, I love a good cookie. My husband makes delicious cookies. He's the baker in our family. I'm the cook. And... It wouldn't feel good if I ate like that. And I'm, I'm thankful for some of the things I've learned about nutrition over the years because it's, it's helped me form the way, a way of eating that feels really good to me, which could change day to day. And you don't need to go on diets to do that. You can take the things you've learned from diets and apply them if you have been on them before, but you don't necessarily have to go on diets to do that. So there's been a couple, there's a couple listener questions. We're getting um, to the point, kind of to the end of the podcast, because we don't want to have, we don't want to keep you guys for hours and hours. <laughs> and we have to go out to eat. It is our date night. My husband's going away for 10 days, so it is about time for us to go out to eat. Um, but I want to answer a couple listener questions that I had. And the first one we kind of already answered, but I'm going to ask it anyway and kind of see what your take is on it. So what if one partner is more mindful about eating than the other? So is this, you are trying to be more mindful about 
you're the more mindful or you're trying to be less mindful and your partner is more mindful. Is that kind of See, I'm where thinking, we're yeah, I think this. this listener was asking if one partner is more interested in eating and nutrition, mindful in that way. Um that's where I think this is coming from rather than like mindful in the healthy sense where they're right. mindful. I mean, if you're more interested and I kind of take this in that if you're more interested in anything whether it's eating health whatever then pursue it so long as it doesn't become an obsession you don't need your partner's you know fawning at your feet trying to be supportive to do it and you need to kind of lead by example you know the only way that I made it through all those different diets and different things and trying different things and growing myself is because I was able to follow Kristen's example. Um, So if you are trying to lead your family or your partner in a new direction, then a lot of times you just need to do it and be the example. Um, If you are both coming out of a super obsessive diet kind of culture, then it might take one of you to break off and be different for a little while and try your best to just not worry about what they're doing and be the example that they need to see. Mm. So this question, I don't think this listener knows our history or knows much about you, but they asked, how do you navigate if one has more food sensitivities than the other? Garmin GPS. What? (laughs) (laughs) If one of you has more food sensitivities than the other, um, so we it can be tricky. You need to understand how you react to it, and is this a you know major acute reaction, or is this something that's in your head and is more orthorexic tendencies? Because we've done both. We've mm-hmm. done it where Kristen hasn't been able to eat gluten without having borderline celiac type reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now that her gut's healed, she can eat as, almost as much gluten as she wants. Mm-hmm. So we've also had times where the people that she was surrounding with were telling her that she shouldn't eat nightshade vegetables because they'll make her drowsy or some, something like that. Yeah. And so you start to get that kind of hike hypochondriatic thought process around well if i eat this then i'm going to have this reaction so you need to understand if your intolerance is you need to have a better idea of what your intolerances are like Mm -hmm. if if you are sensitive to caffeine you should probably not drink the caffeine because it doesn't make you feel good um if you are sensitive to nightshades if you're sensitive to gluten don't eat it like because it's not going to make you feel good intuitive eating is not just shoving your face with whatever you want it's eating what your body's gonna feel good without obsessing over it so in terms of navigating like one person having more food sensitivities than others so 
over the years, I have gone, I was gluten-free for a significant amount of time. Dairy's always been kind of so-so. I, I, you know, it, it's what feels good in my body, like what my threshold is when it comes to dairy. And that's something I've had to learn over the years. There's been a, a lot of restrictions I've put on myself, deeming them food sensitivities. But really, ultimately now, the only thing I can't eat is potatoes because they make me pass out. <laughs> but for you, you've dealt with the corn sensitivity your whole life. So you've you got to harden up a little bit. I mean, it, it goes both ways. So on the one hand, when I was growing up, I couldn't have, like, cereal was a great example. In the early 90s, do you know how many cereals there were that weren't corn-free? It was like shredded wheat, and that's it. So when you're eating shredded wheat, you look over and your sister's eating Captain Crunch or something like that, some sugar, Frosted Flakes, something like that, because she can and you can't. You kind of learn to deal with it, but that's um, something you learn to deal with from a really, really young age. So really you're like joking. You're joking when you say you've got to harden up because you learn that as at like six that sometimes you just have to deal. I mean, as but the, what about your partner? As the supportive partner, like let's say like lactose is an easy one. If your partner is lactose intolerant, instead of getting upset that you can't or that they can't have milk you should explore different alternatives to find the one that you like the best. Mm. So I am not a huge almond milk fan. I prefer cashew or coconut. You do? Yes. We're learning new things every <laughs> minute of this podcast. So <laughs> I still drink regular cream because i enjoy it and it doesn't upset Kristen's stomach too much so we do both but that's one of those things that you need to if your partner can't have something instead of you getting upset about it find an alternative that you still enjoy so you can enjoy it together so you can still enjoy it together i think what we did a lot too is when we're out we tend to not keep those things in the house if like i'm going through if i was going through like an ibs flare-up or corn type things i love popcorn and we try not to keep popcorn in the house our daughter our oldest daughter is also intolerant to corn and we try not to keep corn type ingredients in the house and so if we go out i love a good corn chip <laughs> i love popcorn but the same thing i think nick's done that really well where he you know we'll have bread and things like that for him in the house when i was struggling with gluten but for the most part we kept most of it out of our main meals and then when we went out to eat it wasn't too much of a thing i would let him <laughs> i would let him eat his gluten hopefully not without too much judgment and that's kind of what we would do so we would find things i guess then to answer this question that you enjoy together in the home and then outside of the home kind of allowing a little bit more of that freedom and trying to find that middle ground where like it's it's okay if you're if it doesn't work for your partner but it works for you or vice versa it's kind of finding that you know, maybe not necessarily placing your food sensitivities on them as dogma, as something that they have to do, but also trying to find that middle ground where you can enjoy things together without one or the other really feeling deprived. Like, you can't get upset with your partner eating gluten if they are not gluten intolerant. Mm. Because the whole reason you're not, the only reason you're not eating gluten is because your body doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. So they're not in your body. So you just like... You don't want outside forces imposing structures on your body. You can't put your own structures on their body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. 
So there are three questions I like to ask my guests. And since you are technically my guest, even though we are currently sitting in our bedroom right now, I have three questions I like to ask my guests at the very end of my podcast because I love food and I love presenting it in a way that is joyful um, as well as, you know, nourishing and all that. What is your favorite thing to cook? I think my favorite thing to cook are burgers. Mm. You can do a lot with them and explore a lot of different seasonings. So I'll do three or four different kinds. I can do, you know, your basic salt and pepper on the burger. You can, one of my favorites is put taco seasoning all over the outside of it. My homemade taco seasoning. Yeah. So you have taco burgers. Um, you can do a barbecue rub. You can do a coffee rub. There's, You can kind of, without putting in a ton of effort, you can do a lot of different variety. Mm. So what is your favorite thing then to eat when we're going out to eat or to order takeout? Pizza or sushi. Mm. Those are probably my two wildly different going in different <laughs> directions. But the two things that, you know, for going out, I love pizza. Pizza is probably my favorite food. Um, and the only reason that I don't eat more sushi is uh, economic reasons. <laughs> you can eat a lot of sushi. He's half Japanese. I know you guys can't see him. He loves sushi. So do I. But Nick can eat a lot of sushi. <laughs> What does your beautiful balance mean to you? What does my beautiful balance mean to me? Um, I think my beautiful balance is freedom to kind of just be. To not be too focused or too obsessed on any one aspect of my life that it's taking away from others there are seasons when i'm in a big work season and i've got to put a lot of focus on work but that's just a season that's not you know forever there are seasons when i've got to be training more there are seasons when i've got to be doing whatever but it's still being able to recognize when i guess it's more being able to recognize when i'm out of balance and knowing that this is not forever and that this has to change soon rather than trying to focus on something attainable because if you're trying to focus on achieving balance you'll never get there Mm. i always say balance isn't static it changes throughout the seasons and you have to learn how to readjust in every season Mm. that's good do you think we found our beautiful balance i think we're getting there we're dangerously close (laughs) (laughs) but it's always going to change right yeah yeah Mm. well thank you nick for being on the podcast for chatting with me you're welcome you ready to go out to eat yes thank you so much for listening to this episode of the healthy balance mama podcast if you loved it would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on instagram and tag me in it It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? 
Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.